This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. This is a new episode 697. Coming up tomorrow morning, we talk from San Sam Ouchi. He took his sales training tool from 600,000 bucks in yearly revenue to 1.2 million just a year later. So how'd he do it on a training program? Good morning, everybody. Nathan Latke here. My guest this morning is Scott Wingo. He is the CEO of Spiffy. He's also a four-time serial entrepreneur and industry thought leader in the e-commerce and on-demand economy realms. He's appeared on CNBC, The Today Show, and contributed to his expertise to The Wall Street Journals, New York Times, along with many other publications. He previously founded Stingray Software, which was sold to Rogue Wave Software, Auction Rover, that eventually sold to GoTo and Overture and Channel Advisor, which went public, as you guys know, in 2013 under the stock symbol ECOM. Scott, are you ready to take us to the top? I am. Thanks for having me on today, Nathan. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. So kick us off first thing. What does Spiffy do and what's your revenue model? How do you make money? Yeah, so we're an on-demand car wash and detail company. So the way we make money is our customers pay for car washes, and uh, we're we're a full-stack model. So unlike a lot of the on-demand economy where they're they're just kind of a marketplace or they're working uh, a network of 1099 contractors, we actually own and operate uh, the whole soup to nuts. So we employ the technicians, we own the assets, the vans that are utilized, and that's how we make money. And uh, is this so? Do people pay for kind of an upfront fee, or is it a pay-as-you-go model? It's pay-as-you-go. We are uh, one of our top requests is people kind of say, "Hey, having my car clean is addicting, and I want to have it more often." So one of the requests we get is subscriptions. So we are working on that model. But right now, you order a service, and then you pay after the service is completed. Tie tie me into the psychology there when somebody tells you getting a car wash is addicting. when I hear that, I hear, okay, money. How do how do we make more money from this addiction? <laughs> I hear the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's one of those things that you, you know, uh, it's like the sixth or seventh thing on your task list and you never get to it. So then once you're able to get to it in a frictionless way, you're like, wow, I really enjoy having my car clean. It, uh, you know, we hear from people, it really improves their mood and their attitude. And especially if they have kids and that kind of thing, it, it, it can be a very dramatic uh, impact on your day-to-day life because we spend a lot of time in our cars. So I think that's what's addicting is that, you know, you get really used to having your car kind of pretty nice and clean. And they really want to get it more, done more regularly. And what year did you uh, found the company in? We started in 2014. Okay. And so I want to obviously go through kind of more of the spiffy story, how you started things like that. But first, you had a lot of success, it sounds like, before 2014. So uh, give us some context first in terms of where you were in life. How old were you in 2014? So let's see. In 2014, I was 46. Okay, yep, and had um, had successfully taken Channel Advisor public, and you know I, I really loved that process of building a company up to 100 million dollars. It's a software company, so kind of different than what I'm doing now. Um, going public's fun. Um, you know, being CEO of a public larger company, I just felt like I wasn't scratching that entrepreneurial itch. So I uh, started doing some um, testing that turned into Spiffy, uh, and that coincided nicely with me transitioning out of Channel Advisor on a day-to-day basis. I still am exec chairman, so I run board meetings and, and have a fair amount of input, but it's not my day-to-day gig. Mm-hmm. And what did you uh, walk us through kind of how you got involved with Channel Advisor, the backstory there? 
Yes. So in 2001, um, so I guess in 99, we had started a company called Auction Rover and sold it to GoTo.com. They invented paid search. Uh, Google made all the money, but GoTo kind of invented it. Uh, and uh, we we always, uh, Auction Rover was a search engine for auction sites, and we always had plans to develop software for sellers on auction sites. So after we got acquired, we developed that software. And uh, we we what turned into Channel Advisors, one day I was looking at who was using our software, and Sun Microsystems was our biggest seller. So we said, wow, that's that's amazing. And they had sold like $3 million worth of servers on eBay. This is when eBay was largely Beanie Babies. Mm-hmm. So uh, we said, this is pretty interesting. The go-to guys said, uh, sure, but there's this company, Google, we're getting ready to compete with. Uh, we're just going to shut you guys down. And we said, instead of that, what if management bought back this idea and spun out? So we spun out in 2001 with this idea of helping large brands and retailers sell primarily on eBay, but we felt like there'd be other channels. So we chose the name Channel Advisor for that reason. Well, where did so, Overture fit into this picture? Yeah, so GoTo changed their name to Overture. So same, oh, same company. company. Okay, got it. So yeah. GoTo was they Overture. Got, they got some dispute with Disney. Disney had Go, if you remember back then. Yes. So there was some dispute, and they had to change their name to Overture. Okay, so I, uh, I, it would be remiss not to ask some questions about how all this works, because it's where you get someone that sold a company to a larger company and then figure out a way to strategically negotiate their way and actually buy their baby back, right? And then, you know, take it big and take it public. So at Auction Rover, uh, remind me again, sorry, what year was that? So uh, 99, we started Auction Rover and we sold it to, you know, uh, go to in 2000. Okay, 2000. Um, oh, wow, that was really fast. Did you raise a bunch of capital on Auction Rover or why so quick? We did. We raised three million bucks, and you know it was during the internet bubble. And I'm kind of a traditionalist. You know, I believe in profits and those kinds of crazy things. And crazy, (laughs) yeah. You know, (laughs) we started to get these acquisition offers, and they started to get higher and higher. And finally, I was like, you know, wait, uh, Scott, you got to give us context there. What's high? (laughs) Uh, fifty to a hundred million, and we had no revenue. Um, Wow. So I was kind of like, you know, this would be remiss to say no and then have the bottom fall out from this thing and always say, wow, what, you know, what if we had sold this six-month-old company with no revenue um, for, for a pretty good sum? So eventually, uh, one of the acquirers was one, uh, and I was a huge fan of GoTo.com and the, the paid search model they invented. Uh, and so it made a lot of sense for us to sell to them. So that, that's really why it made sense. So we, we sold it kind of, uh, you know, literally three months before the bottom fell out of the dot-com bubble. And had you already experienced a kind of a life changing financial event with Stingray to Rogue or was the Stingray to Rogue deal like not that big and really auction over one is where you it was really life changing for you and your family? Yeah, I would say the Stingray to Rogue wave was uh, it put me in a position where I didn't have to work. So then I was kind of playing with the house's money um, so I could make, uh, you know, take a, a lot more risk than, than I could in my first endeavor. Yes, Scott, I have to pull this lesson out real quick because uh, so many people say only focus on one thing or they read a Steve Jobs bio or Elon Musk bio and say, I want to go go to space tomorrow. And the fact is, nobody realizes Elon started with an agency that he sold and momentum, mm-hmm. momentum just created uh, uh, where he is today. It sounds like you did the same thing, like there's nothing wrong with creating a win so that you've got Maslow's hierarchy needs taken care of and then some. And then you're basically playing on house money. You take bigger risks. Did you feel that as you were doing it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, at Stingray, you know, uh, my first company, the uh, I always joked because I had personal, you know, I had to sign everything personal debt, and I had like a million dollars of personal liabilities uh, for leases and all the other stuff we had, uh, and I had like a net worth of like fifty k. So, yep, yep. so you know, so so then once you have that first success, it's it's you know the old thing, you, you know, the you, you don't once you don't need money is when you you get it. Uh, then it was a lot easier to find venture capital and those kinds of things. How old were you when Stingray was founded? 
I was, let's see, 25 or 26. Okay. And then how many years did you build that before you sold it to Rogue? Uh, about three years. Okay, got it. So you were caught 28, 29 years old to Rogue. Um, and what was that mm-hmm. a- acquisition price? It was about 7 million bucks. Okay, got it. And now did yep. that company have revenue? It did. Yeah. So it was, uh, we were, we were closing in on eight or 9 million. So it was kind of a one times revenue type deal. Not horrible. And was it software? How much did you take to the bottom line? It was software. Yeah, we had, you know, pretty good. Uh, it was installed software back in the day. So we had 20 to 30 percent margins. So Got it. Was, gross or yeah. net? Uh, net. I was going to say gross. You were probably what, 80, 75 server costs were probably higher back then. Yep. Correct. Yeah. yeah. OK, amazing. Got it. So that, that's helpful to understand. So you get your first kind of kind of a good exit, right? Seven million bucks. You get rid of your personal guarantees on one million. Your net worth is now larger than 50K. You're now going to go play on auction over on house money, basically. What did you personally sink into auction over before? Again, you, you obviously exited. So an auction over probably two million. OK, got it. Yep. And then you raised and then you added on additional three million in additional capital. Yeah, so so angeled to ourselves got three, and before we could really get into the three, sold it for you know depending on the time and how you calculate it, about twenty to fifty million bucks. That's unbelievable to me. That just seems like fantasy land. What were people thinking back then? It, it was crazy. You know, we we had a competitor that got an offer of two hundred million and turned it down, and then you know it became a zero. So it was you know I felt. I felt vindicated doing that, but you know, so we had uh, some of the money we took was from Draper Fisher Jervison's uh, arm, and they they were actually upset we sold because they had just sold Hotmail for a billion dollars, and they were kind of like, "Let's hold on for a billion. I'm like, "Are you crazy? I'm I'm a I'm taking this money off the table." So, <laughs> and if you if you guys want an interesting tie in there to him, Tim Draper's take on this, uh, who created uh, uh, Draper Fisher Partners, we had him on in episode 129 at com forward slash the top 129, and it's funny, Scott, you bring up Hotmail. He broke down. Uh, you know, the, the scent with love from Hotmail at the bottom, the growth hacking they did there mm-hmm. and how that exit happened. So it's interesting to hear you were <laughs> you were on his mind during that same period. Absolutely. Yeah. OK, got it. So that exit happened. And uh, what was the price on that? Uh, it, you know, 20 to 50. Call it. OK, got it. So, yeah. And, and again, no revenue. Yeah. 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 Uh, nom- yeah okay. Negligible. Like maybe 50K a year or something. So you sell in 2000 to go to go to renames itself overture um they want to shut you down because they're about to keep you with google they needed to focus uh what did that conversation sound like when you're actually negotiating the terms of how to buy this thing back it was uh i kind of likened it to brer rabbit it was kind of you know don't throw me in that patch we were kind of like you know we were helping them work on the cost of winding this thing down so we were a little bit uh fox in the hen house there so there was a lot of cost to wind this down with severance and those kinds of things so we were able to say look we can help you uh, avoid those costs by creating this new co and we'll, we'll take over the, you know, we'll take some of the employees and cover the cost for shutting this down. So it was essentially, uh, we, you know, sold very high and bought very low. So what did you, what did you buy it back for? I mean, I, I imagine it was nowhere near the 20 to 50 million you sold it for. Yeah, it was around a million dollars all in. That's unbelievable. And you had, you would credit the leverage you had there really to the, 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 op, the cost that they were going to have to incur to shut it down related to severance and things like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, the pressure of Google uh, also helped a lot. Yeah. OK, got it. So you buy it back. And what year was that, by the way? 2001. OK, so wow, this is so quick. So you founded it in 1999. You raise almost three million. You put in two million yourself. You sell it for 20 to 50 million in 2000 to go to a year later. They say, we're going to shut you down. We got to go after Google. You say, don't put us in that briar patch. You buy it back for somewhere called around a million in 2001. 
Now, this eventually goes public in 2013. So uh, <laughs> that was new to you, right? I mean, you've never taken a company that big before. Yeah, that that's true. It, it's always been my aspiration. And I remember um, when I was a kid, uh, my dad was a business person and he got Fortune magazine. And I remember the Microsoft IPO and it said the cover had a picture of Bill Gates uh, and it said, you know, Microsoft's hundred million dollar deal. And I was like, what what is that? And I learned about IPOs for the first time. So I, I've always had it as a goal to take a company public. And, you know, my, my first company, you know, I really couldn't see how it could get over 20 or 30 million in revenue. Auction River was really a lottery ticket. And then with Channel Advisor, I said, I really want to find something that has a bigger addressable market that I can kind of ride for a longer term. And I, I was in a financial position to be able to do that. So so that that's kind of what the goal was in 01 spinning out Channel Advisor was to kind of say, let's let's really moonshot this thing and see how big we can get it and if we can do an IPO. Was this because you were competitive and want to beat your father? No, no, it was because, uh, you know, I just felt like it was, uh, I always like to have a higher goal uh, that I'm setting and, and it, you know, IPO is, is a, a pretty high one. Uh, there's not many companies that, that get public. So it was, it was a fun goal just to have. It, so that, that's one of the things that turned you on about it, right? It, it, it's just a goal. Very few people do it. Let's go do it. It's the epitome of entrepreneurship. It's the Mount Everest of, of startups. So some people would argue like like the Mount Everest of Starbucks would be like a very small team doing a hundred million dollars per year and putting fifty million in your in your personal pocket every year without having to deal with public shareholders. Uh, Why did you decide to go public instead of going the cash route? Yeah, if you you know if you if you raise venture capital, you're gonna have to have an exit, and there's two paths: M and A or IPO. And I just felt like I'd done the M and A thing a couple times and really wanted to see what the IPO process was like and um, understand that and um, you know, I've, I followed a lot of other companies and and listened into their conference calls and felt like you know, that was something really interesting there and something that that I may enjoy doing. And what did you did you raise capital for Channel Advisor? We did. So we, uh, myself and another founder, put in about ten million bucks ourselves to get it going. And then uh, this was before cloud computing, and it's a highly so. What, what Channel Advisor does is helps retailers and brands sell on eBay, Amazon, Google, etc. So uh, it's e-commerce oriented and uh, it's highly transactional. So there's a fair amount of uh, you know uh, server cost. So we raised ninety million bucks all in before the IPO, and uh, you know a good chunk of that, probably sixty, went into servers and building out a server farm the other 30 went into in these software as a service models as you know you have to really ramp up the sales team and you know you uh it, it really hurts you economically because you incur all the cost of the sales reps and they don't really kind of generate revenue and app until about six months when they're up and running so mm-hmm. it takes a fairly deep investment in a SaaS business to get there so that's what we did you know over that 15 year period uh did a series a b a c uh and got up to uh you know a nice kind of hundred million dollar run rate Yep. Uh, and was this a recurring model, predictable revenue at $100 million? Absolutely. Yep. Great. And so when you did sell, um, what was the market cap on day one? What it popped to? Uh, that's a good question. So I know we priced it like 14 and then went to 17. So you know, I would say 500 million. Okay. And did ever, was ever, you know, taking into consideration liquidation preferences on your Series C and every, and the cap table structure and everything else, was everyone happy with this outcome? Everyone made money? We did, yeah. Everyone made money. It was a great outcome. So then fast forward, how do you exit this business? This was recently, right? Well, relatively recent, 2013, so four years ago. How'd you get out of Channel Advisor and why? 
So, so we had a, a you know a, another person in the business. I always I always kind of believe in succession planning and knowing what you're good at and not good at. And I'm a product guy, and you know once you get up to a couple hundred people, just making sure little things like you're doing regular performance reviews and you know you have a hiring process and you're measuring your sales team. Um, I'm not really good at that stuff. So uh, I brought in a COO to help me with that, and he did a great job, and it enabled me to focus on the product and marketing in areas that. That I felt like I could add the most value, um, and then after after we went public, you know, talking to the 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 COO got promoted to president, and he was real instrumental in the IPO process. It just felt natural. I, I felt like you know I wasn't really learning much more, and he wanted to step into the role as CEO, uh, and you know I just felt like it was a great time for him to to mature and, and take that step, and and I could kick myself upstairs to exec chairman and still be involved and still be an involved founder. Uh, just not involved in the day to day. So tactically, how'd you do that? Obviously, your your CEO salary goes away. You write a letter to the board that says, "Hey, I'm going to remove myself here, so you should replace me with," and then I'm down as exec chairman. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Basically, that simple. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, you, uh, you you always kind of you know. I like to have my board 100% in alignment before these things kind of you know come up and and just make sure it's kind of more of a after the fact thing. So uh, not exactly like you said, but, you know, a lot more kind of talking to the board and sharing you know my thoughts and things and and yeah. You know, so it wasn't like a they got this letter over the transom kind of thing. You're based in in North Carolina. Do people, Scott, that you know, they probably know your story, look at you and go, Scott, you've had so much success. You sh- you know you're in a position where you could be, you know, putting people on Mars. Why go after car washes? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Elon and Steve Jobs and those kind of folks, but I'm, I'm just, I'm more of a tactical entrepreneur. I'm not the guy that's going to put people on Mars. I don't have any way of, you know, I've had some success, but I don't have that, that, I think that's a billionaire kind of a problem. Uh, I just really like solving hard problems and scaling businesses rapidly. So that's what I focus on. So uh, that's one of the things I love about Spiffy is, you know, so first of all, every time I've made one of these career changes, it's into a totally different space. So I always love to try to challenge myself by going into something totally different. Uh, and what's fun about Spiffy is because it's consumer oriented, the, and the, the demand for what we do is so high. Uh, you know, I think we can scale this faster than I've ever scaled it anything. So Channel Advisor took 15 years to get to hundred million. I think we can get there a lot faster at Spiffy. And what is, so what, what's the ultimate goal of Spiffy? Is it take it, take it to public, you know, exit for, you know, a billion dollars. What's your, do you have a goal here on this one? You, you know, I, um, I think that's kind of putting the cart before the horse. And what I always do is just try to build a business as great as it can oh, be. Oh, come so. on, Scott. But your goal at Channel Advisor <laughs> was very clear was to go public. Now I know it's more sensitive because you're actually building Spiffy <laughs> and your team might hear this interview, but really, I mean, you must have some goal with this going public is probably boring to you because you've already done it. So what possible goal could you have? So, so I think, if we can get this up to $100 million very quickly and into 20 or 30 markets, then the you know we can choose our, our outcome. Mm-hmm. So I think there'll be legacy companies that may want to buy something like that. And I think you know an IPO is another thing that we could look at. And there's there's uh, an IPO is is still a, just a fine exit and not a you know there, there's some negatives, but it's it's still a viable exit. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're running out of time here. So some quick rapid fire questions. Um, because we didn't focus a ton on Spiffy. You had a great story, but on Spiffy. So what uh uh. Break down your revenue. How much of it is pay as you go versus true SaaS revenue, recurring revenue? Yeah. So the one thing that's really interesting at Spiffy is when we first launched, we put an MVP out there, and the biggest shock, and I'll 
let me give a background. I sure. uh, after selling selling my second company, I had two physical car washes, so I have two tunnel car washes um, here in this area. And those kind of washes, it's weekends and evenings is your peak time, and during the day you do maintenance uh, during the weekdays. So when we launched Spiffy as just an MVP app in 2014, the first thing we noticed was everyone wants their car washed while they're at work, which is obvious in hindsight because that's when your car is most idle is those eight hours a day when you're kind of Monday to Friday doing the nine to five thing. Um, so we're like, okay, whatever. Then uh, as we would go to these office parks, we'd get driven off by the security folks and they would say over and over again, there's four reasons we don't allow detailing. Number one, uh, you know, all these detailers are kind of dodgy folks and we're not sure what their backgrounds are. Number two, their vans look kind of fishy and we don't like them driving around our class A office space. Number three, they don't have insurance. And number four, there's a big environmental concern because these detailers were leaving effectively a chemical spill in the parking lot. We solved all those things. And then what we noticed is we would be going to some of these local businesses once a week. And, uh, you know, we started to build up this recurring revenue at the office parks. So uh, it's kind of a long way to answer your question, but about 70% of our revenue is this at work consumer. And the bulk of it's recurring. It's recurring at the office park level and not necessarily the consumer level. We, we of course, do have a fair number of consumers, but there's office parks we go to where we can just consistently make $500 a week. Boom, boom. And then others, a thousand and some that we make as much as 2000. Um, so there's this kind of training that employee base to make Spiffy a weekly habit kind of a thing. Um, and, and then good. And I was gonna say, so when you give us a sense of where you're at today. So when you add up all that, about how much are you doing per week or per month or whatever metric you want to give? Yeah, so we we uh, we just crossed the two million dollar run rate, and we're growing, uh, you know, north of a hundred percent year over year. Yep. Okay, got it. So you passed two million in, in annual recurring revenue, which means you're you know somewhere over one hundred sixty grand per month as of uh, today, right? Yep. And what is the what's the team size? So the teams are interesting. So we have uh, technicians and then the office folks. And I think this is going to be a lot like a retailer in some ways, where you have this very thin office level kind of uh, thing that supports the the city level operations. So in our office, uh, we have about 20 folks. And I don't see it getting too much bigger than that. Uh, you know, not like we had to do it channel advisor. Uh, then uh, on the technician side, we have, you know, between how you count them, 40 full-time and up to 60 if you include part-time folks. Makes a lot of sense. Scott, let's wrap up here. Oh, actually, before I ask the wrap-up questions, do you have you raised capital on Spiffy or no? Self, self-funded? self We have. So we just announced a round uh, that we finished our Series A and we raised 7.5 million bucks. Is that just like, you know, oh, it's another morning since you've done this so much or do you still get excited? Uh, I still get excited, and you know, it wasn't what I would call easy either. So, yeah. you know, this is a wacky enough kind of an idea, especially with the own and operate part, that we got a lot of no's. So, it's a, uh, you know, uh, it is always a challenge. And how do you get over the obvious question, which is, uh, uh, Scott, what, why, why do you need my money? Use your own money; you have enough. Yeah, you know, uh, um, I am investing in the business, and you know, uh, but you know, the, our aspirations are bigger than my checkbook, and so we're we're looking for outside investors as well. Okay, Top Tribe, as many of you know, I sold Heyo, and everyone is always asking me what my expenses were when I was building Heyo. Well, a big expense was that I spent over three grand per month on financial services to keep me out of trouble in terms of taxes. You know, my mom would always harbor me, Nathan, you gotta keep all your receipts and put them in a freaking box or something to make sure you don't get an audit or things like this. I'm like, mom, I'm a millennial. You think I'm gonna keep all these receipts? I now use FreshBooks. I use their mobile app to take a picture of receipts and it makes taxes a cinch. Additionally, I don't have to hire a $3,000 per month person to manage all my finances. It's like saving so much money and my mom's happy. 
Additionally, I don't waste a bunch of time creating invoices. I use their templates and I can avoid using Word templates or Excel files. I just use FreshBooks to quickly send out invoices and it works like a charm. To get your free first month, go to nathanlatka.com forward slash FreshBooks and enter the top in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, go to nathanlatka.com forward slash FreshBooks and enter the top in the How Did You Hear About Us section. There you guys have it. All right, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Scott, these are super quick answers. Number one, what's your favorite business book? The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Horowitz. Number two, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? I'm pretty much obsessed with Jeff Bezos, not to the restraining order level, but but close. <laughs> Number three, what's your favorite online tool like Acuity Scheduling? Uh, this is probably controversial, but LinkedIn, I, I uh, yeah, that has become my brain of network uh, business network connections. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Between four and six. Okay, and uh, what's your current situation? Married, single? Do you have kids? Married, three kids. Wow. Okay, and uh, and how old are you now? I am 48. All right, take us home. Last question. Take us back 28 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Uh, I would tell my 20-year-old self to trust your instincts and invest even more in your own companies because you know that's uh, going to be a successful way to do things. There you guys have it. Trust your instincts. Invest more in yourself from Scott. He's currently leading Spiffy. They launched uh, several years ago, 70% of their revenue coming from consumer, a kind of recurring office park level, ranging from 500 per week up to 2000 per week. They just passed $2 million in annual recurring uh, revenue as a run rate, which means they're doing over 170 grand in monthly recurring revenue. Have about 20 folks on their team, plus some techni technicians growing 100% year over year. Story's fascinating. Again, had a lot of success starting with his first company at Stingray at 25, which he sold at 29 for about 7 million bucks, got rid of a lot of personal liabilities. 1999, took advantage of the big bubble, launched Auction Rover, raised 3 million, sold in 2000 for somewhere between 20 and 50 million to go to, then bought it back for 1 million a year later, raised 10 million bucks to grow that, 90 million all in, and then took it public as channel advisor in 2013, which popped to a $500 million market cap on day one. Everybody made money. Scott, fun story. Thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. That's the best summary I've ever heard. I'm going to have to just play that for folks going forward. <laughs> if you enjoyed Scott today, go back and listen to yesterday's episode and jump into the big debate. Are patents entrepreneurial or totally unfair? Go listen and tell me what you think. It would mean the world to me if you guys got any value from this episode, if you would go leave a review on iTunes right now and then subscribe. You know, I hustle like heck to get these episodes out every freaking day for you guys. And trust me, I love it. I would do it with no listeners. But boy, oh boy, it makes my day and it makes my team's day when we see great reviews and get your feedback. So thanks so much. Okay, Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google ads? Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it, okay? Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right, when you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money, HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's HostGator.com forward slash Nathan.